What's Appalachian? For sure, like the conversation is becoming more natural, and yeah. I think people are like not so scared to talk about it. Yeah. And I think a, a big part of that is people in our generation. Yeah. Like, Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. God bless him. Are you bringing him in or am I? Uh, you you can. All right. And welcome, everybody, to uh, this week's episode of What's Appalachian. We have a pretty good episode for you guys this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this one. Again. Yeah, I mean, we're excited every week, so I mean, <laughs> what the hell does it matter? Build them up. It doesn't matter who we have yeah. coming on. Uh, we're just happy to sit around and have a couple cold ones and... That's Talk true. About some stuff. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, welcome back. Hopefully, everybody had a great week. Um, I know I did. Fine. I Ready did, for the weekend? Enjoying. Yeah. You, you got away today, man. I did get away today. How, how was yeah. the trip? So, dude, it was great. You 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 went to another corner of Appalachia I, here. I, yeah, we did. The, the family did. We uh, made a trip over to uh, Moorhead, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So it was about a two hour trip for us. Right. So we we went over. We wanted to check out a couple uh, businesses that were over there, uh, just to kind of. See what they were about. We uh, followed them on social media and stuff for a while. Uh, one is uh, the New Frontier, kind of a clothing outfitter. Uh, they do some out- outdoorsy stuff. Yeah, seem like really cool people. Their their products are great. I bought a hat and a jacket. I hear. I mean, you. so really cool. Uh, so definitely check them out um, on Instagram. And then uh, we stopped over at Sawstone Brewery. Okay. Um, there good beer. Morehead. Very good beer. I okay. mean, it, it's 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 a microbrewery, and uh, they've only, they they opened up in September 2020. So oh, like right in the middle of right, the pandemic. Yeah. And they said like the, the the community's bought in. I'm like, man, this is a good Appalachian story. Definitely. The, the community's bought in. Like when they weren't able to have people in, like people were still stopping by to buy crowlers, growlers, and, and stuff to go. It's all that matters. To keep dude. them afloat. We say um, it every week. Small towns have the most buy-in. I feel like, yeah, especially for with sure. uh, with locally owned business, one hundred percent. So yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good trip. Um, we're gonna go back in the summer. Good. It's well, right in the middle of like like Moorhead. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Like, right in the middle of like the Daniel Boone, Daniel Boone National Forest. So there's like mountain bike trails and stuff all right. around. So yeah, I like to check that out. Get a cabin. Definitely. Definitely. Out. So uh, this week's episode, we felt it was uh, it was important to put a little focus on mental health. Uh, during the tough times that we're facing now, um, with, with COVID, uh, with, with being on an Island at times, it seems, you know, away from friends, family, um, and you know, everything that's happened politically, uh, Mm -hmm. with the state capital and whatnot. Um, you know, I feel it's important to, to check on your neighbors and whatnot, uh, but we're bringing on a good friend of mine. Uh, I refer to her as uh, Marley Hartley in the episode. <laughs> I told her after the episode, I was like, I refer to you as Marley Hartley, and I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> I'm not changing it. Yeah. Uh, but tonight we have Marley Hamilton uh, for you guys to to tune into. Marley has uh, she she has a great history in yeah. terms of mental health and, yeah, and she's things like that. Kind of worked in several different Dude, areas of mental health. Yeah. And- and and one thing you guys will see throughout the course of this episode is is you know, Marley was thrown uh, thrown to the wolves in a lot of different aspects. You know what I mean? Yeah, she I mean, just rolled with it and f- from her. Yeah, and and what you know, that that speaks leaps and bounds about who she is as a person in terms yeah. of 
you know, doing just what needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, I think. And I hope West Virginia can gain, Appalachian can gain more folks like that. Yeah. In that, this realm. I do too. I think uh, to take a theme away from this episode is, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Whether you yeah. like it or not, uh, sometimes you just have to shrug your shoulders, grit your teeth, mm-hmm. and get through these things. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what we're facing now. But Marley has great insight on, you know, the op- opioid epidemic, uh, Big Pharma, and how they kind of got their foot in the door in West Virginia, how we've handled that um, as West Virginia's Appalachians, um, things of that sort. But tonight, guys, it's a great episode, uh, raises a lot of awareness. Uh, and I can tell you as somebody that, that is big on mental health, that, that struggles with anxiety at times, um, it, it, it means a lot to me. So hopefully you guys can sit back, crack a cold one with Gabe and I, and just uh, enjoy the Cut conversation. Loose. Yeah. Okay, so uh, sitting here with Marley Hartley. Yeah. Uh, has a huge, huge history in terms of mental health, opioid addiction, uh, everything like that. Marley, how you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. So to start things off, just shoot us a little background information on Marley's life with with mental health, opioid addiction, things like that. Okay. Um, I think a good place to start is kind of like what even led me to be interested in that population because originally it was never my goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I wanted to major in psych. I knew I wanted to eventually be like a therapist, hopefully a psychologist was the long-term goal. <clears throat> but I kind of wanted to work with kids initially. Yeah. Um, I got a job right out of undergrad, um, right out of undergrad in, when I was still, I just started grad school, I got a job at Prestera mm-hmm. at their kids um, facility in Huntington. and. I'm really glad I did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't stay long just because it ended up being way too much with um, school too. Right. But I realized that kids wasn't really the area that I wanted to be in. Yeah. And less those that do it, it is a very hard job. Yeah, yeah I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't either. Um, so, you know, start with kids. Uh, got your foot in the door there. What? Where did you head to after that? So I was doing a general master's degree at Marshall. Um my grandparents were both struggling with like different kinds of dementia, yep. one mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and Lewy body dementia. Right. And so I got really passionate about that because it was my life. I was around it 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I ended up focusing on in grad school. <clears throat> it was like dementia-related disorders, like a lot of cognitive memory, emotional stuff. Um, so that led me to my first job in at Thomas Hospital in Charleston mm-hmm. on their geriatric med psych unit. Right. And it was like perfect with what I had done for my research project in grad school. It was, they really focused on like behavioral issues in the geriatric population yeah. related to dementia. They had people that had like mental health um, disorders or substance use, but it was mainly like, you know, the behaviors that come with yeah, dementia, dementia illnesses. Mm-hmm. So we got, I got into that. I loved it. Um, was there for a few months and then the unit closed down i don't really remember why but um the unit closed so they transitioned us to another floor Mm -hmm. which was just like 18 and up adults mental health substance use disorders a lot of them dual diagnoses 
And so I just kind of got thrown into it. It yeah. wasn't something I applied for. It wasn't something I asked to do. Yeah. They're just like, well, here you are. And I was thankful I had a job. Right. So yeah. <clears throat> um, got into that, and it was kind of my first experience seeing that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you all would agree. Like, when you grow up here, especially in our generation, I mean, you know addiction is all around you. You know right. substance yeah. use is all around you. Yeah. It's hard to not be affected by it in some way shape or form right um but i think in a way that's kind of why i didn't have like a plan to like stay away from it definitely but i think that's why i never really got into like being interested in it as a professional career because it wasn't something i knew a lot about i didn't feel Mm -hmm. like i was the person to help those people um and at that point, really, I mean, this was like five years ago. Yeah. West Virginia was already doing a lot in substance use treatment that right. I was unaware of. But right about that time was when everything really, like, got off the ground. They yeah. got grants. They got a lot of funding to, like, get all these programs going. So a lot of the people around me, even though some of them were older and had career, like had been working with that population for a long time, a lot of other people weren't as familiar with it either right. that were kind of like me and got thrown into yeah. it. Um, So that's kind of where I got my first taste of just like solely mental health stuff, Um, seeing people of all ages, Mm -hmm. and seeing people with substance use disorders, you know, coming in right off like being in active addiction, withdrawing, really, really sick, seeing their family members, seeing how much of an impact it was making on everybody, like not just that person, but their family, their community their kids, yeah. their their mm-hmm. spouses. So that kind of like ignited a little bit of something yeah. in me. Um, then it was all this was all kind of like unexpected it things. It sounds like it was like bang bang. Like yeah. the, I was this shit's like a whirlwind of just <laughs> Marley going around and like rolling with it. Yeah. That's really yeah. how it is. And I would say like a lot of people that get jobs like that in a hospital or a healthcare system, they kind of tell you coming in, yeah. like, you're going to get thrown in, you're going to survive, yeah. you're not yeah. going to survive. Right. And I was really, I mean, that job, the connections, the experience, it, like, taught me so much. Yeah. So then, I, don't, I was, like, 24, probably, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually pregnant at the time. I found out I was pregnant. And a job, we had a program called Pregnancy Connections at mm-hmm. Thomas. Um, it was a great funded program mm-hmm. by the state. And it was an outpatient program for like women who were um, had a substance use disorder and were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, you know, they had, the program had a lot of goals, of course, to meet funding and what they wanted to see. <clears throat> but their main goal was to keep families together right you know they wanted to see that the mom was getting health care um that she was being taken care of that the baby would then be taken care of and then obviously to give them you know mental health and substance use treatment and it was like three days a week it was pretty intensive um a position for that that position came open Mm -hmm. again never in my life did pregnancy and substance use disorder even like join in my head and I think for a lot of people that's how it was I mean you it was almost like there was a force field around pregnant women like yeah drugs can't touch them and when they do then we're gonna talk bad about it yeah yeah 
and so I just like I thought about it for a little while I mean the hours and some there were a lot of other things that came into play for me taking it yeah. especially with a kid coming along right. <laughs> but I was like I mean if you guys will accept me yeah, I'm gonna exactly. jump in right continue to roll with you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did and that job that position like truly changed my life yeah I my husband ended up getting a job in Cleveland about a little about a year and a half later and yeah. it was I mean for him too he really struggled with like knowing that I was struggling leaving that job yeah but it was amazing and it's really like <clears throat> what I would like to continue I really liked working with women and stuff but that I don't think I don't know if I'll work specifically with that population again but mm -hmm. it's something I would like to keep focusing on in the future yeah definitely definitely so you know you moved to Cleveland you said mm -hmm. uh, what was life up, like up there so if we were going to do a comparison of like Point Pleasant Cleveland like, and mental, <laughs> other than the fact that it's other a than the fact that it's, yeah I hate well, you Gabe <laughs> population's a little different absolutely different um <laughs> but it's also kind of like a serendipity type moment because I'd always wanted to go back and get my doctorate yeah. but I started working and we all kind of fall into that trap I think when we start working we start making money and You're we're right. like well I'm good yeah, yeah. Like, so I mean <laughs> like resources in Cleveland as compared to Appalachia are probably night and day I would assume right yes. like in terms of people wanting help people wanting to reach out uh, and help themselves, things like that. I'm sure it's completely different. So when we moved up there, I decided that I would start. I applied to a couple like online programs. I got accepted to one, had the time at that point um, to start on that. But So when I was up there, I actually wasn't working. Mm -hmm. um, I did do, like I talked to some different organizations just about what they were doing mm -hmm. in, like as far as women, pregnancy, um, with substance use disorders. Yep. And just being in the area that it is, I mean, mm -hmm. my behavioral health treatment is lacking everywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the people that, a lot of the times, the people that have those problems have so many other barriers that even when the treatment is there, it's just not going to happen. I mean, yeah. they're not yeah. either whether it's transportation or whether it's financial or. Mm -hmm whether they have to, if they're able to work they have to work or they can get time off work yeah um so there's always those problems i mean they did have a lot more especially when i did we moved back here last year yeah. or about a year and a half ago right and even though i'd lived in huntington and charleston for since i left high school mm -hmm. i hadn't lived here right yeah sent for 10 years yeah and it sounds crazy because you're only an hour away, but when you don't live here as an adult, you don't really know. You come home, you see your family, you leave. Yeah. Like, you don't really know what else is here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to mental health, it turns yeah. out nothing. Yeah, there's, there's a stare <laughs> down the road. <laughs> 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 That's about it, yeah. But like, I was blown away whenever I first moved back, and um, I talked to a couple people at PVH. Just mm -hmm. They were like, you know, we get these people to come into the ER, and we don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there we unless we can get them to go an hour away or more. Yeah. You know, we don't have someone on call. We don't. Mm -hmm. We literally don't have anything to do. Yeah. So well, we just send them home. Do you, yeah. So like, kind of the lack of resources, especially small town. Do you think that's more of an economic issue, or do you think it's more of a stigma issue, or a combination of both? I 
think it's a combination of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a combination of a financial, like an economic issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's the um, <clears throat> the long term problem of Appalachians <laughs> are victims yeah. of yeah. a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the hands of a lot of people. Right. And then we get these problems and nobody comes to help. Exactly. You know, and, and not to say that we're like hopeless and helpless, but yeah. we we get problems that were kind of put on us in a way and it's very complex. Yeah. But then nobody comes in. Nobody's like, well, he, here's this funding that we're going to create this. Yeah. Yeah. Like they do in a lot of other places right. just simply because of the area or the location or the population numbers. Yeah. So then we're left to fend for ourselves, and yeah. that doesn't turn out very well. I think it's I think it's so easy for people, and you know, just for me sitting here, it's so easy for people to be like, "Oh my gosh, addiction's such a big issue," blah blah yeah. blah. And it's like, it is, but it's kind of like you said, like, what do we do yeah. at this point? You know, we have no resources or limited, limited. resources yeah. to to help these people, and it's like. Our hands are full of yeah. shit, and it's like, like, I don't know how to handle it. It's like one of those roundtable discussions that you always have, like, and addiction always comes up, like, what's the one of the biggest hurdles? Like, every, like, economic development meeting or city council-type project, or, the, well, like, where the one of the questions are, like, what's one of your community's greatest hurdles? Addiction. Oh, my god. It's obviously... Yeah. And, like, right. there's rarely... A conversation that follows that. Yeah, it's just like, well, we've got this problem, but well, people, we don't know what the hell to do with it. So let's move on yeah. to this next issue. Yeah, and I think like that is kind of the stigma definitely plays a big role. And I think that in a lot of people's minds, there is no solution. Right. Yeah. Like these people can't be helped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's like let's focus our energy over here and not over here. If we if we just like don't look at it. Yeah. 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 I mean, truthfully, that's really what it is. and yeah. and. You know, I'm. If I wouldn't have gone down the career path I did, you know, I don't know if see if not seeing it in real life, you know, I would like to think I wouldn't be quite as heartless as some people. Right. But yeah. <clears throat> I think when you don't see it, it it does look like, well, why can't you just get out of that? Like, why exactly. can't you yeah. just stop? Yes. Why? Who would want to live like yeah. that? Which, yeah, which yeah, which blows ahead, my yeah. mind, especially in our area, because at this point in time, like. Everybody knows or has someone close that has been Absolutely. affected by this. Yeah. And to sit here or for people to act like they're too affluent to have witnessed this or seen the struggle or seen the damage they can do to not really have that drive, I, I just can't figure that out. With- and that's another interesting point is some people are like, well, this doesn't affect like you know people that have more resources or have money or and it's like it does yeah it's just that those people have things that help them not be on the streets right exactly they have other they have family they have support they have money mm-hmm. in the bank yeah you know they're not they're probably not gonna be and you know it can't happen but they're yeah. not gonna yeah. be as quickly losing their home mm-hmm. you know literally be homeless yeah well and i think it comes to uh you see a lot of people nowadays um, saying like, well, they they put themselves in that position, yeah. You know, and and I think that just ties into the whole stigma of this stuff. Like, instead of lending a helping hand to somebody that that's struggling, like, oh, it's not a, it's not a damn disease. Like, it's it's they made that choice and blah blah blah. And it's like, you know, regardless, I think you look at the bigger picture of everything. Regardless whether you think it's a disease or whether it's a choice they made, like, 
They still need help. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They're still, they're still a human. Yeah, who gives a shit? That has if, a disease. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's it is like, a disease. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I'm here. Trust me. I, I am. Yeah. yeah, you are. You are. Trust me. I, I'm with you 110. percent But I'm just speaking it for the people that are just like, well, you know, they I, they stuck the needle in their own arm and yeah. blah blah yeah, blah. But, it's like, but what about the people that didn't? Yeah. What about yeah. the people that? Fell into that trap of opioids. I mean, being injured. Or, or what right. about what about the kids that suffer from this stuff? Yeah, you know, it's mom and dad that are doing this. Like y'all wouldn't know, even believe like how many people I've seen like as patients that grew up in various parts of West Virginia, like yeah. even more rural than where we live right. in Point Pleasant. And you know, they've told me when we were doing ever the history stuff, like the first time they used drugs was when they were like eleven, and it was given to them by their parents. Yeah. I mean, and when you think about that, and that c- kind of comes back to, like, what y'all were saying is, like, these are people with stories, mm-hmm. yeah. like, with real-life human experiences that you don't know anything about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't know what happened. Yeah, they're more than a statistic. Yeah. yeah. And people kind of forget that, I think, because mm-hmm. it's a problem, and I don't have the solution for it, yeah. so it's not my problem. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think it's a, it's a trickle-down effect. You know, you have these people that struggle with addiction. Um, and then, you know, for me as an educator, I see kids that struggle with parents that struggle. And yeah. it's like, you know, I fall back into that hopeless pit of, like, what can I do for you? You know, yeah. there have been so many times, and, like, I know your wife says the same thing. Like, I wish I could open my door to some of yeah. these kids and yeah. let them come live with me because the shit that they deal with on a daily basis <laughs> is is beyond imagination. And you know, even during this pandemic, you have so many people saying, like, these kids yeah. need to be in school because blah, 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 you know. but And people even say, you don't even know what these kids go through. And I'm saying anything like, you don't either because yeah. you haven't witnessed it. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's easy to sit back and generalize maybe some things these kids go through, but, like, you don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I did my first home visit the other day, and it was, like, eye-opening to me. Like, yeah, I've said it forever. <clears throat> like, you never understand what they're going through. But I fall into that category of, like, I really didn't until I yeah, got out and saw it. Yeah, until you, like, see it. And yeah. when I worked at that brief time at Prestera, I did. I was an in-home case manager. So mm. that's what I did. And yeah. you, <clears throat> you really don't realize, and that's a lot of those people that are, like, that don't know, mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, you don't know. You, you've never experienced right. it. But, yeah. you know, be kind and be forgiving and be lucky that you don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know? And people forget that, you know, to to feel gratitude mm-hmm. for never having been there. Yeah. And, and I think the stigma thing not only affects the adults, you know, and adolescents, whoever, that struggle with substance use disorder, but it affects these kids. Mm-hmm. Whenever on the news, whenever people in their community, whenever their own family and mm-hmm. or their friends at school right. are like talking about labeling these people as junkies and addicts and yeah. you know using all these really negative terms that that's still that child's mom yeah. Yeah. or their dad yeah. and that's yeah. that that's going to change them forever yeah. exactly. you know, rather than being like these people my, my mom and dad are still good people they right. still love me they're just sick yeah. but yeah. no one tells them that exactly yeah. so they just think that they've been left yeah mm-hmm. and everyone else is talking about how bad their parents are yeah and you know that's Got to be. I'm not gonna say as traumatizing as going through the rest of it, but that that, that, that has to be up there. Yeah. For a child. Oh, I, I just, would guarantee just to have it. That. I would guarantee it. Now, and imagine that then head. it like stops them from seeking help because yeah. they yeah. don't really think that anyone cares to listen. Exactly. Yeah. They're just a bad person too. Yeah. They just automatically have that 
And, and a lot of adults think that. Yeah. Like, well, you were, you're a product of your environment. Yeah. Especially yeah. if the kid's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, oh, he's that one kid from that one yeah. family. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you like, know, that you know their parents. You, you know his yeah, parents. Yeah, they all like, yeah. oh. <laughs> Uh, small town. That, well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's just the way. That's just the way things are, and and you know, it goes back to what we were saying before. Is like, you know, these people come in and they're like, what's the biggest problem you face? Drugs. Yeah, every time. <laughs> and it's just that's <laughs> like this response is like no solutions ever. No. Okay. Uh, you know, it's like brand journey. It's not brand new news. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's like brand journey comes in. We have this meeting, and they're like, okay, what are some hurdles you guys are facing? And then, like somebody raises their hands, like it's drugs. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> These college girls are just like on the whiteboard, just like. Yep. Say <laughs> no. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they just write. They dare not teach you anything. Exactly. Can you not go back to Deputy <laughs> Downing, like helping your boy out here? <laughs> but you know, I don't have the answers either. But I think a lot of it comes down to something that's like a whole lot of work, a, a lot of people that put into it, but applying for these grants that are mm-hmm. out there i mean there's a, a a lot more that goes into it than that but right. when we talk about kids even there mm-hmm. are so many grandparents you know as we all know yeah. raising their grandkids yeah. and as good and as loving and as involved as you can be when there's such a generation gap yeah you know, that's tough it's just hard yeah. i mean it's hard on the kid it's hard on the grandparent you know and and if they're older, if the grandparents are older, I mean, and they have health issues or whatever the yeah. problem is, you know, or they also financially struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need funding too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the kids are taking care of these grandparents. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly, like a 12-year-old has become a caregiver yeah. at home. Yeah. Was it recent? <clears throat> was it last year that, I don't know if this actually went through our state legislature, but I know when they were discussing like foster care and stuff like that, was there a discussion to where like they were looking at the state assisting grandparents that were yeah. taking care of younger family members I in this type know of situation? The details of it, um, but mm-hmm. I think there is something that like the families can apply for to mm-hmm. receive money if they are the sole caretaker of the child. Yeah. I don't know like. Uh, you know yeah, details yeah. of the eligibility yeah. requirements for that, but I, I do think there is something, something like now. that. Because I, I remember because like everybody knows within foster care you do receive assistance from mm-hmm. the state. Yeah. But it, for up until very recently, I guess at least the conversation wasn't had that family members wouldn't receive that because well they're they're can. Yeah. But yeah. When, when in all reality yeah. that assistance is just as necessary. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, okay, we we you know you look at the local level in terms of where we're at what our kids face, mm-hmm. what, what adults face. Um, and then, you know, you look at who has dealt this hand to these, to these people, you know. Yeah. Um, as we all know, sitting here at this table, West Virginia has been taken advantage of throughout its entire state, statehood. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, and then we <laughs> look at the facets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Countless. Yeah. yeah. And then you look at Big Pharma and you look at the hand, like, you know, that's the hand that's dealt this madness to us as a state. Um, you know, what, what, I guess it's kind of a broad question, but I mean, what, how do you feel about that? I see you taking a deep breath, (laughs) nostrils flaring, gloves are coming off. (laughs) Oh, well, when we, when we start touching on like pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, Mm -hmm. um, and the, really the victims of not, that prior to the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, and I didn't. 
you know, we, I didn't have any families, family members that were coal miners. Yeah. I didn't have anybody that had a career like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to see people really struggling with either mental health or substance use disorders that that had been their career. Yeah. yeah. And that really opened my eyes to really, I mean, being in West Virginia and, and you know, Cola's life to so yeah. many people still. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not something I knew a lot about, right. to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. And um, to see, to learn more about that and to see how people, you know, they lost their health care benefits or mm-hmm. they, you know, they lost their pensions. So no, there, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there were these programs, like there were specifically for like coal miners for rehabilitation, mental and physical. Right. Yeah. And when, you know, the money just kind of ran out, well, then the only, the only avenue was like disability. Right. Like there is no rehabilitation. This is the avenue we're going yeah. to. Yeah. It was medication and disability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when all those pharmaceutical companies came in, you know, I, I, there's like a, one area that always stands, and this happened in so many, you know, small rural West Virginia towns. I mm-hmm. mean, really every town in the state. Yeah. But a lot of the statistics, a lot of the articles, a lot of the stuff on the news at the time focused on southern West Virginia, like yeah. where the yeah. mines have right. kind of been, and all those counties are like there's no one there anymore like Mingo McDowell and there's a town in Mingo called Kermit Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I know what you're talking about and I think this this has been a couple years ago I don't think the statistics have probably changed much Um, there was like 380 people (laughs) that literally lived in this town Mm -hmm. and through like a six or I think it was a six year period there were almost six million opioids shoveled into that town (laughs) I think it's something like that's 5,000 pills yeah, per, per person, person. Yeah. men, children, and women. Yeah, <laughs> seems legit. Yeah. 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 And, like, and that happened no in flags. so many None. places. Yeah. yeah. And so then it wasn't even these pharmaceutical companies that were to blame. I mean, it was the people filling those prescriptions. You're right. Like well, and, it, and you, you know, you look at the <laughs> bigger picture of all this stuff, it's kind of like, you know, we have been put in this maze you know, per se, I guess, with only one avenue out, like you had said, and you're kind of funneling everyone into, like you had said, disability and pills. And it's like, what the hell do you do now? Your hands yeah. are tied. There's no other option out, you know. Yeah. And and compound that with, you know, <clears throat> addiction, substance use disorders. I mean, everybody could be at risk yeah. with the right, you know, with the right factors in place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you look at the people that have that were in those positions. I mean, you take like people that worked manual labor jobs like right. that, or you know, or just living in poverty. Yeah. I mean, there are so many. You know, a lot of the research in recent years has been about child adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. We hear that all the time now. Um, but when you think about people that work jobs like that, I mean, think of, it, it makes me think about like the trauma. You yeah. know, not only mm-hmm. the physical pain that right. I'm sure you've endured yeah. and now you have some kind of like actual disability but just the stuff that you've like went through yeah. I mean maybe seeing somebody get hurt or just yeah. like depression and anxiety and exactly. just the hours of that yeah I, I feel like I mean coal mining specifically I mean I feel like that could be a depressing job I mean yeah. especially if you're working a night shift yeah. or, or a day shift yeah like you go underground you never in the dark. see the daylight you come out of dark yeah. I mean uh, and that, I mean I know that's just one one occupation yeah. affected, but still. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then, you know, there were all these situations where whatever the experience was, people did kind of have, those are risk factors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, environmental or trauma. Um, and then suddenly there's this, like, answer. Yeah. yeah. Like, here's your prescription for your pain. Like, in, in I'm sure it was real pain. Right. But nobody needs yeah. that no. many uh, opioids. Yeah. I looked up a stat real quick. In, in 2018... West Virginia providers, so physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, wrote 69.3 opioid prescriptions for every 100 persons. Yeah. Which, when you look at those numbers, it's like, I've read them so many times, and sometimes I have to kind of sit back and, like, let that sink in. Yeah. yeah. It's it's truly unreal. No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you think 5,000 at, at one point. <laughs> you know, 5,000. Per, per, I mean... Per person, and per that, person. that is including children right. that yeah. weren't taking them. Yeah. So, you know, so you look at your household, you know, in my house, I'd be getting 15,000 pills. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, and like, it's unreal. Our listeners right now are probably thinking, oh, my God, that, this is real mm-hmm. life. Like, this is yeah. real West Virginia. And, and what, what blows my mind is there were no red flags for this type of scenario. No. And it's not like we're talking, like, this is straight up like 1985, not no, right. like This is, I mean, literally just 20 years yep. ago, 2000s. Yeah. When I feel like this really hit big. Yeah. And then is still increasing. When the, you know, physicians and a lot of people were prop in the companies, obviously, but yet, a lot they, of people were profiting yeah. off of this, which is why in recent years we've seen so many people, doctors, Mm-hmm. get arrested, yeah. lose their license, yada, yada, because right, so. they wouldn't be, even though they had the capability to, they wouldn't bill insurance. Yeah. Everything was, you know, straight pay. Everything was yeah. direct pay, cash, yeah. whatever it was. So there were there was no record of yeah. any of this. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> it is crazy. And it, it, When I first kind of learned about this um, a few years ago, I worked with a man um, at Thomas who was... I don't know. He's probably in his 60s, but he's been working in the mental health field for, like, decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of were all talking about this one day. And I, it got me look. He would mentioned it, but I looked it up, and I think it's Purdue Pharma. Mm-hmm. There's a commercial. I think it's, like, mid to late 90s. And it's when, like, Oxycontin first hit the market. Right. And in it, I kid you not... He the the man in the commercial literally says as he's promoting you know advertising this drug yeah. that there's like less than one percent chance that you'll get addicted oh, to it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Less than one percent. Yeah. Yes. And they went you know all these reps went around to all these offices, hundreds and thousands, and preached that. And yes. preached that. And pe- why wouldn't they have believed it? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, at uh, least in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's backed by science, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and then they found out that that wasn't true. And yeah. the people, you know, the companies were still like, well, if you do this and if you do it right, and yeah. it's like the, the, the problem's already been made. Yeah. Like, we can't turn around now. Well, exactly. And then, you know, it went to, um, you know, people always say, well, you're treating addiction with, with drugs. Yeah. You know, when they go to a suboxone clinic or anything like that, and it's like, it's just the hand we've been dealt. Yeah, you know, and and none of us sitting here have the answer to it. But I don't think people, even people that are going to listen to this episode, like I don't think people understand the real issues that we that we're seeing from this. It's yeah. not just a one generation stuck on addiction. Like it is, it is, these kids are seeing 
their parents do this, so they do it. And it's just a never-ending cycle at times. You know, you you wouldn't believe the people that tell me, though, that, like, when they did grow up in homes where that's all they'd ever known. I mean, and they're, like, our age or, you know, between 20 and 30. Right. Um, And that's all they'd ever known. That's all they'd ever seen. And when we talk about people aside from their parents or family members, like, so many times, I'm like, you know, who, when you were a kid or when you think back, like, Mm -hmm. who was someone that was, like, made you feel okay? Like, who Mm -hmm. was your safe place? Who gave you comfort or, like, was a role model um, that wasn't trapped in that cycle? And I would say 98% of them say it was a teacher. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that, like, teachers understand. Because, you know, you're with these kids more than their... Even if you have a loving home, teachers are with kids more than their parents are. Like, that's just how life is. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that sometimes teachers understand the role that they play. And just when someone's 25 years old or 30 years old and they're still telling a therapist that, Mm -hmm. I mean, what big of an impact the teachers can make in kids' lives by just listening. Yeah, yeah. And that's all it takes. So many people don't listen. Yeah, and I think think that's one thing that I I tell my students. Um, I'm not going to give you the best advice, but, you know, the least I can do. Is, is listen to things and you know even even me you know I'm a mandated reporter like you know I have sure. to I have to do things that, that I don't want to do because sure. if I do these things it could further you know it could put these kids in even more danger if mm-hmm. I do call CPS or if I do yeah. file a report you know it's like it's a really hard it's a hard spot to be thing. in because these kids will open up to you and they'll trust you with everything they have and then you know you're they'll tell you something and it's like shit yeah. Like I don't want to break this trust, but like I can't. Like this is my job. You, you know You're what I mean? Needed to and, yeah. and morally. Yeah, no. Yeah, and, I, know. And, I know. But you know, there, there have been so many kids, and we just talk about mental health. I, I can't. I can't even tell you how many kids have come to me and been like, "Mr. Grouse, like I'm struggling." Mm-hmm. Well, you struggling? Well, I'm cutting myself. I'm thinking about killing myself. I don't want to be here anymore. And it's like, as a person, you sit and you take these things on, and it's like, you know, I'm here. I'm here for you. Uh, and I listen to it, but you know, you've built this relationship up with somebody, and they open up to you that way, and then you have to go and like tell yeah. somebody, and it's like, damn, like I hate <laughs> to do this to you, kid, but like, yeah, I love but, you, I can't, I can't, you know. Yeah, I mean that's you know the ethics that uh, teachers and anyone that's dealing with that is yeah. the same as anyone that works exactly. in like, the mental health. Exactly, exactly, and you know I think of people like you and and things that that you just have to endure throughout the course of your job you know I mean, the, sh- the shit you see yeah. the shit you hear and it's like you know you it's like you just got to shrug it off and come back the next day and it's like damn you know it, it, it's got to be and hard. i'm sure it's with amazing. even like being a teacher like some some days are harder than others yeah. and there is sometimes is like a it could be like a 10 second moment that makes the next year mm-hmm. worthwhile yeah, you're right because even if you helped one person or or one person felt like they were worthy yeah. of yeah. something or that they could be, you know, better or they could be the best version that they right. could possibly be, if you helped aid that in any way, then it's like, okay, yeah, well, it's totally the bad days are. Totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. You touched yeah. on, I think, Suboxone and stuff, and that, I think, goes along with what y'all were saying, mm-hmm. too, about sometimes there will be these, like, 
solutions in a sense and then people bash those too you're right <laughs> yeah yeah like, um, I was just a box of clinic. They're just giving. Yeah. Uh, they're just There's like some one drug. Yeah. He's like, Dick, can, can we not? <laughs> and that's what, like, when I worked with the preg- um, in the pregnancy program, that pregnant women take Subutex, mm-hmm. which is a a type of um, Suboxone. Yeah. And that was like what that program was, and so that especially you bring pregnant women, it's like right. now doubled the stigma yeah um but even kind of along the like pharmaceutical company thing and physicians medication assisted treatment got a really bad rap because of people that didn't do it correctly yeah Yeah. i mean i've seen doctors who like really do it right really go by the book you know Mm -hmm. if you fail a drug screen you're out or you know two or three you're out and it's so monitored and they do really well with it whenever mm-hmm. they're not like shoveling the scripts out it's right. just like you get yeah. what you need and that's it yeah but then you had so many people who again like lost their license and their practices were yep. shut down because they didn't do it correctly and then their patients are the ones that get looked on badly yeah, yeah. it's like it wasn't yeah, their the fault yeah. yeah yeah so i mean i know we talked about kind of how it can be a perpetual cycle and everything so what are some ways but We'll just kind of think locally, West Virginia. Like, what are some ways that West Virginia is tackling this type of issue? Because the first thing that comes to my mind is drug courts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and you're involved with the Mason County Drug Court. Um, would you care to kind of elaborate a little bit more on 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 that? Yeah. Kind so, of... um, I knew a little bit about what the state, about what some other states were doing mm-hmm. as far as like the legal system, because um, I think they're there was whenever all this kind of stuff got going you know you got the the statement that we can't arrest our way out of yeah. out of this yeah. this problem and that was true um you know you arrest them they get back on the street yeah. they're gonna they're, they're not getting treatment you're right. not yeah. fixing a problem you're actually making the problem worse yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um so then these programs started coming into play um with adult drug courts where I started working for the Mason County Adult Drug Court in April. Also a bit of an unexpected. I wasn't really looking for a job. Yeah. Um, but it was, the hours kind of worked. I was like, all right, yeah. let's 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 do it. And again, I really, I love it. I really like working with this population. Um, so kind of the point of drug courts is to take someone who has been convicted <clears throat> of arrested for it can't be like anything violent right. i mean mm-hmm. most of the time it's like burglary yeah. um a lot of like stealing money or using credit cards or stealing yeah. checks or whatever it may be and rehabilitating them right. yeah um our program i think most are a year and it's like a <clears throat> pretty like intensive at least for the first six months intensive outpatient program and they do individual therapy group therapy um we you know with covid things have kind of a lot of yeah. things have been restricted yeah um sometimes they do like in AA meetings if those are available yeah. obviously lots of drug screens and they get rewarded you know they get like incentives whenever they do well whether that's helping them get social security card birth certificate id driver's license car right. um you know, help them maybe financially if there's like something little that they just need help with the electric bill. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's a really great program because coming back to even, you know, what can we do to help them and also what can we do to help 
kids because we don't have one right now but there's also like family drug courts Mm -hmm. where and it even kind of ties into like the adult drug court but you know keeping people as rehabilitating them getting them jobs like Mm -hmm. you know making them have self-worth like giving them responsibility and giving them resources and then with with the adult drug court I mean obviously a part of that unintentionally is also keeping them home with their kids but then you've got the family drug courts too that a lot of the 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 thing is keeping families together in a safe supportive healthy environment yeah so when you look at our statistics with like kids in foster care (laughs) I I misspoke on a previous episode we we have over 7,000 kids in the state of West Virginia yeah and I think it's like at least in the last several years I mean, 80 to 90% of those cases each year are specifically related to parental drug abuse. Yeah, that's crazy. <clears throat> so these, I, I mean, this is exactly, they're all pretty new, you yeah. know, uh, drug courts and things, but mm-hmm. it's exactly the the path that, you know, we as a state, as Appalachia, and as the country, mm-hmm. you know, have to be taking mm-hmm. to keep, yeah. you know, to help these people, to make them productive yeah. citizens. Um and keep people out of jail for exactly <laughs> what, you these know, types of things. It gives people a chance. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, when you're saying these things Marley did on earlier, like, you know, calling people junkies and stuff like that, like, you're not even giving anyone a chance here. Yeah, it's just, you not, know, it's just not. You're selling them short already. And, yeah. you know, as a teacher. Even somebody that's in recovery. I yeah. I feel like they, no. they, they're hard. It's really difficult for them to shake that. Yeah. That yeah, because yeah. it's like you know we all know that you're called something for so long. Yeah, you're gonna buy into that. That is, you believe it. I mean, yeah. that is now your identity. Yeah. yeah, and it's so hard to shake that mentally. Yeah, it takes years yeah. for some people that have even are you know been sober for years. Exactly, still have to battle kind of the shame that mm-hmm. comes with having a history of drug use. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I think I think you know we've discussed drug use and things like that, but I think even in the grand scheme of things, mental health as a whole is just one big stigma. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, some people suffer from anxiety. Like, you know, I'll be honest, I, I take medication for anxiety. Like, and I've never been like, nobody's ever saying to me, but I see people on the internet all the time. Like, why don't you just quit thinking about it? Yeah. Or like, <laughs> why don't you just quit? Like, don't worry so much. Why don't you just calm down? Yeah. And it's like, Dude, if I could, I would. Trust yeah. me. Like, I, I promise you. Like, I didn't well, want no to get this bad. no one's ever told me that before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Everything has changed. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> that. Do you build my insurance? Yeah. <laughs> what, what happens how, here? How do we do payments? Yeah, it just, it, it blows my mind to see people, like, yeah, just forget and, about it, man. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, note taken, man. I'll forget about that. Thank you. And I'm on to the next then, one. Then you go home and... Overthink what they just told yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. Damn. You know, an interesting thing that, and I don't know, like, any numbers. I don't know if there's anything written about this. But I will say, like, when you asked me to come onto the podcast, you know, a lot of what I've always done and what I've has been an addiction. Obviously, that always goes right. hand in hand with yeah. mental health. Definitely. But I kind of started to see, and a lot of other people have told me this, too, that while West Virginia has, we have a huge problem, but we've made a lot of progress. Yeah, There's been yeah. a lot of people doing a lot of really great things. Yeah. But what I've seen as kind of a consequence, if that's the right word to use, is now we have a lack of facilities and treatment centers for strictly mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So I know this has been you know three to four years ago. Whenever I would make referrals for people, and that that would come in like there really was no substance use issue. It was strictly mental health. Yeah. Well, I would hit my referral list, and where there had been like twenty places within a three-hour radius that I could call, that was just a psychiatric. Yeah. Inpatient, outpatient, whatever it was. We we still have a decent amount of outpatient, but like inpatient for people with you know really needed some kind of acute care yeah suddenly there was nothing yep. and they had had something but now either their unit had turned it solely into you you obviously could have a mental health but you also had to have an addiction component yep. or the insurance they couldn't accept you yeah and that i mean i can think of mm. countless places that i would call for strict and I, it was so impossible to yeah. find anything <laughs> I so see i would that now. be sending people two hours away yep. And because they don't have any beds around here. No. Yeah, that's crazy. So that was kind of an unintentional, I'm sure. Yeah. But so many, you know, you there were there were these grants. There was the state money mm-hmm. that you could only get if you know you met the requirements for the grant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, then what that meant was maybe you put that on a unit that had been a psychiatric unit yeah. before. Well, you've used that space, and now there is nothing else. Exactly. And I don't. You know, I'm sure people that did that weren't thinking about that because they were like, oh, well, there's still this, there's still this. Yeah. Well, then those people did the same thing. Exactly. And then there was nothing. Yeah. And I think I think even with that, I think mental health has kind of, and I don't know how you feel about it, Marley, but like, I think mental health has kind of grown in terms of awareness now. You know, I, I'll be I'll be talking with somebody and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I take medication for my anxiety. I'll be like, oh, okay, like. Oh, yeah, we can be weird together. Like, I'm down with that. You know what I mean? But, like, there is an awareness starting to come about. And it's actually, to me, and maybe it's just who I surround myself with, like, it's starting to actually, in my opinion, starting to become kind of normal. Yeah. Normalized a little bit in terms of mental health, I guess. For sure, like, the conversation is becoming more natural. And I think people are, like, not so scared to talk about it. And I think a, a... big part of that is people in our generation yeah. like for sure because <laughs> older people are still reluctant yeah. to talk yeah. about oh anything gosh, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah yeah i did she's nuts <laughs> and then it like you know it makes it... prozac patty yeah <laughs> prozac patty yeah i'm just trying to pretend <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be like a gaudy old woman at the hair Jesus. salon right now or something like that garbage pail kid it's prozac patty <laughs> Give me a break here, man. All right, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jesus. But, um, but I think that, like, people talking about it, it makes you feel less alone. Like, yeah. it, ma- it makes it better. It really like, does. When, pe- when you can't talk about it, it makes it worse. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. 100%. Definitely. It's Definitely. like you can, you know, find some common ground and you're like, oh, like, it makes you feel less, it makes it feel like it's not only happening to you. Yeah. yeah. No, that's That's such a great way to put it. That's such a good light to put it into. It's like... You see people say all the time, like, you're not alone, but sometimes you do feel that way yeah. because other people aren't coming out and being as being as open mm-hmm. about what they're facing, or if they do, some people are like, you know, it's like we said earlier, like, oh, hell, just forget about it, man. You'll yeah. be all right. Just rub a little dirt on it, you know? And then your <laughs> anxiety will go yeah. right away, man. Go for a run. Yeah, Watch go for some a run. TV. <laughs> yeah. Do some yoga. Let's do some like, breathing exercises. Me, if I'm feeling down, the last thing I want to do is go is for go a run. run. When yeah. I'm feeling good, the last thing yeah, I want exactly. to do is go exactly. for a run. Uh, well, honey, I'm having a panic attack. I'm going to hit the old track, all right? We'll be back. Might have a heart attack. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if my heart's going to explode or not, but this is what people are telling me to do. So I'm going to hit the treadmill for a few. Hopefully my heart rate will drop. 
Like, oh man, I get so sick and tired of seeing that at some points. Like, <laughs> it's so, so over, uh, it's so overdone. Is like, and I think about. some of that is like that thing of that's probably what some people tell themselves. Like, mm. oh, for, forget about it, it'll go away, it'll yeah. go away. It's like, when really, if you just be like, hey, like, I'm struggling, I'm yeah. having a bad day, yeah, I've been having a bad year, yeah. yeah. Rather than just like constantly keep pushing it away and being yeah. avoidant of it, you probably feel a lot better. <laughs> do you think? Do you think twenty twenty has foster helped foster a way to normalize the conversation about mental health? Is that a silver lining about twenty twenty? Perhaps yeah. I do think that it's probably because it was shed in this light. Like we're all struggling, yeah. and, and yeah. we all were, yeah, and are, yeah. <laughs> um, but because it was kind of put out there, like, it's okay to say something. Yeah. And because a lot of people, like, it has gotten, mm-hmm. especially if you already did struggle with some a mental illness or depression or anxiety or whatever it may be, it's gotten worse for so many people. And then yeah. some people that never struggled with it are struggling with it now. Exactly. So I do think that it's been such a part of the conversation that that might be a positive thing that came out of this. Yeah. And, I, and another so, thing that I think has been really good is, like, the telehealth, like, virtual yeah. therapy. Oh, yeah. Some people offered that before, but yeah. not a lot. Right. And now that's... And that was kind of a thing that kept a lot of people from going. You're I mean, right. If someone here... And most of the time, we're going to have to drive to, like, Charleston or Huntington exactly. to see, like, a psychologist. Yeah. And to offer those services... That a lot of people didn't before because they didn't they felt like they didn't have to or it wasn't yeah. necessary. Now they're doing it, and that probably has gotten a lot more people feeling comfortable. Like I can do this from my home. Yeah, I don't even because yeah. a lot of if you have anxiety, yeah. and you're trying to make your first therapy appointment, yeah. well, imagine it's, the anxiety of that, trying to do that. Yeah, and then you driving know, there. and then driving there and thinking. <laughs> what am I doing? This? This is <laughs> I don't need this. I just need to calm down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm gonna go for a run. Uh, thank God I talked to Uncle Bob about <laughs> right. my anxiety. This music really helps. Yeah. I'm gonna turn around. Yeah, the road. this heavy metal, death metal music really helps. But um, I think that for sure has been. A, I've talked to a lot of like friends and like past colleagues that work in mental health or like various mm-hmm. you know healthcare professions, yeah. and they're like. While this was a very hard transition, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is nice that we now have this capability. Yeah, you know, people don't feel like they, because ha- you know, if you work, if whatever, you have kids, you have a life. Right. It's hard to take three plus hours yeah. of your day to drive an hour away. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, to I do agree. this, I think, and that's I think what keeps become, people from doing it. Yeah, I think it's become a part of our mainstream health mainstream healthcare now. I mean, oh, I think sure. I think telehealth is like Marley said; it's always been around, but like I think it's kind of you know exploded now with everything going yeah, on. Yeah, and people and are pr- kind of like forever. promoting it a little bit more. Yeah, or they're yeah. like, hey, I did it. And yeah. then someone's yeah. like, all right. Like, oh, I'm yeah. do it too. And they're, they're creating apps for it, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got apps that you can, I think, like text someone. I know. I mean, like 24-7. Yeah, which is awesome. What, yeah. if, what if like I clicked an app and I was like, hey, doc, having a panic attack. And he texted me back and was like, it's all right. Just, just take a run. Appreciate you. <laughs> that really helped me. Oh man. So I mean, 
kind of getting close closer to the end of this. So if someone is dealing with addiction or mental health, like what are some resources um, that you would recommend that folks reach out to or avenues that they might try to attempt? Um, <clears throat> I know, uh, I wish I was more prepared for that question because I do have kind of a list. I mean, not only like locally, mm-hmm. but yeah. also kind of like more nationally yeah. and like statewide. Yeah. If you get to get us that information, we can pump that yeah. out on yeah. social media. Yeah, we don't, and... we don't need it right now, obviously. Yeah, because but... yeah, some of that, like I said, I mean, I, we don't have much like here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of it would kind of be like pretty lengthy to like discuss yeah. right now. But I could definitely get y'all just like a resource list, like for awesome. oh, hell yeah. you know, we'll community, local, media. statewide, na- even like national hotlines. And you yeah. can. There's like out. a website. Yeah. It's called www.goforarun.com. Shut up. <laughs> Am I driving that in the ground far enough? Is there that might, in there? You can make yeah. one. There might be one tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think their mission statement is just just calm down. <laughs> just calm down. Just don't think. But no, send us that information. We'll put it out on the, uh, put it on the we'll do. social media for sure. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add in or anything? You know? I don't think so. Do y'all have anything else? I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is just this conversation needs to be had in a more formal, not form, a less formal setting, in more regular terms. Yeah. Across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Just to just to normalize it and then destigmatize it, if that's even a term. Yeah, and I think too adding to that, uh, you know, just to our listeners out there, our our like mm-hmm. couple dozen listeners. Um, yeah. No, check on check on your neighbors. You know, mm-hmm. and yeah. during these times that that you know uh, we're going through and and crazy crazy times that we're going through, check and see. You know, call your mom, call your dad, call your friends and check on them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, one of those phone calls can go a long way with, with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, always be sure to be there and, and make sure yeah. everybody's all right, you know. Yeah. Just don't be so quick to judge people. You yeah. know, we talk yeah. about finding a solution. Well, you can be the solution. It yeah. doesn't have to be something big. Exactly. Just, just be the, the Appalachian that you are and just yeah. love one another, care for yeah. each other. Yeah. Exactly. Take care of so. your community. I mean, that's what Appalachia is about. I think sometimes right? we've We've forgotten that a little bit. I think so, too. I I drink of that. Me, too. (laughs) Well, Marley, thank you for coming on. I appreciate you taking your time to come here and BS with us for (laughs) for a little while. So I appreciate you. Uh, Guys, be looking for the resources that we shoot out there because, you know, whether you know it or not, obviously somebody that you surround yourself with is probably struggling with a mental health uh, issue, I'm sure. Um, So we'll be shooting that information out. Marley, thanks again. We appreciate Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Truly. Man, what a what an interview, man. Yeah, it was good, man. I, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really enlightening. It, it blows my mind, uh, and I tweeted this out. Um, you know, at the beginning after we had talked with Marley. Yeah. The, the statistic from Kermit, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. 5,000 pills per person. It seems legit. Yeah. Yep. It is. No red flags here. None. So, anyway, uh, we're going to bring you into uh, our next segment, Drink to That. I think a lot of people a lot of people are kind of fans of our Drink to That segment. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. So, glad. you know, guys, if you have anything to drink to, give us a shout on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Email us at what's dot or at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, and we'll use utilize the hashtag drink to that. 
Um, so in this segment, just for our new listeners, we've we've gained a couple some new listeners. Um, uh, this is something that we utilize each week uh, to pick out something positive yeah. um, that that we drink to. So my thing that I'm drinking to tonight would be to me. Uh, I'm drinking to the middle of the road politicians. And, Not and politicians, but the, the folks, that, the folks that are in the middle. Yeah, hey, yeah. Um, I feel like... The ones that are being torn in two. Yeah. Because I, they're like, uh... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of the time... I, I've been told numerous times throughout this nightmare of a year um, that there is no middle. And I can tell you now that 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 is complete and utter bullshit, because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I am left leaning. Yeah, you know what I mean. But that that doesn't mean doesn't mean you're hard left. And I mean, it doesn't mean you have to be hard left. No, you don't have to be hard right. I mean, just what's wrong with being left of center, right of center? Not a thing. Yeah, and just getting you know just ho ho ho. You mean folks can kind of have common ground. In Sometimes. the United States in 2020? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. But no, I, I want to drink to those people because I feel like sometimes we are left out to dry because, you know, the media portrays things, you know, way left, way, way yeah. right. And, and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Red and blue, um, man. That's it, it. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think when everything's said and done, uh, it, it, it is us that are in the middle that will uh, get through this. Yeah. Um, 100%. And I think, I think you know, these people, especially after last week's events, have really started to come together yeah. to condemn certain things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and um, that talk of being in the middle yeah. is starting to be thrown out there. <laughs> like, oh, wait, we don't have to be radicalized? Exactly. Um, so I, I want to take a swig to the people like me that are in the middle uh, I know people tell you probably all the time that there is no middle, but, yeah, but we're here. But, but there is. And, and you know what? I know we try not to be political on this stuff and everything, especially with policy and everything. Yeah. But a prime example, I mean, however you feel about him, I mean, a prime example is someone working in Washington that is probably the epitome of middle mm-hmm. is Joe Manchin. Yeah. State senator for, or, uh, our state senator from West Virginia. I mean, this guy gets just torn apart by oh, folks on reamed. both sides of the the political aisle because they well they say well he just hops the fence whatever is more in his favor but, but does he though but, but does he because like he's a self-proclaimed centrist yeah he's a moderate yeah i mean i guess that does make you kind of a conservative democrat but at the same time that puts you right in the middle of the road and all and most people we talk to are like oh we need more bipartisanship and yeah, and why they get everybody wants to work to get nobody wants to work together, and then th- there is a guy that's there and really does try to and work when, both sides. Do I agree with everything he does? No, hell no, no. But that's part of being in the middle. There are going to be some things that you don't agree with, and things that you do see eye to eye on. Wait, but if you see, you can't agree one hundred percent with somebody one hundred percent of the time. No, never. It's like I don't expect people in exactly. our in our town to agree with my views on things no, 100% of the time. But you look at what happened at the Capitol. Who was the first oh, one geez. to make some noise? Huh. Yeah, well, He was the first one to step up yeah. and actually kind of act like a leader. You know why? Because he's in the middle. Because he's in the middle. <laughs> he's like, he's not guys, saying this is getting ridiculous. Things are right. Or, you know, yeah. It, it's, it's, who are we to sit and, and wish for bipartisanship but cast judgment on those that are bipartisan? <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I agree 100%. Like, when I when I hear that, I think of Iron Man standing in front of an ironing board, ironing a shirt made of iron. Because you know why? That's irony. That's that's irony. Mm-hmm. Things just got weird. They're only weird if you make them weird. It's just the mental picture that that painted. I'm just... What, Iron Man? <laughs> Iron Man. Iron, yeah. Ironing. <laughs> iron. <laughs> so, you know... It's it's it blows my mind that some people are so b- blind yeah. at yeah. times to wish for bipartisanship, but hate the fact that there's bipartisanship yeah. in Washington. Now I'll drink to that too, man. But I want to drink to the people yeah, in the middle. I, I hear you, man. So yeah, I think you know at the end of the day, being in the middle is is extremely important. Uh, you know, I know Gabe can drink to that as well. No, oh, definitely. Um, I have a few times already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, guys, it, it's been a fun episode. Uh, I've enjoyed sitting down with Marley, talking yeah. with her, listening about her experiences. And it, it's eye-opening in, in it some is. regards. I mean, things that we know, but just things being reinforced in, in our perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's, I, I think I'm going to, like, um, label, quote, at the end of the day. That's my... That, I think that's, that's your... My... You should get that tattooed on your ass cheek. Jesus, Kate! <laughs> God! <laughs> All right. That's your end of the day, man. You made it awkward because you paused between the words ass and cheek. <laughs> you should know. get that You're... tattooed on your ass. Cheek. <laughs> Yours are pretty far apart, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so anyway. Uh, on a serious note. To kind of draw this back in from Gabe's dumb jokes. Stupid jokes. Shut up. Um, so, at the end of the day. I really feel that, um, you know, with this discussion with Marley and everything like that, I, I do believe, um, you know, like we've discussed in this episode, mental health awareness is definitely um, becoming a little bit more normalized. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for me, you know, and I don't really open up about it much, but, you know, with me having anxiety and things like that, you know, it's funny how your brain is wired. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's I think it's weird how you could be perfectly good one minute and then something happens <laughs> or something said and it's just like or you just think of something yeah or you just think of something off the wall like yeah. it it just it, it gets to you and then um, how and how that can kind of set folks up to kind of spiral make path. some decisions yeah that just to make some not, decisions or, or yeah you know I just remember going through what I went through a couple years back like. Dude, I, I remember being, you know, 230 pounds, uh, perfectly healthy, and then, you know, it, you know, I just started having panic attacks and stuff like that. Like, I didn't eat. Yeah. I didn't sleep. Dude, I dropped down to 100. I remember. And, and 95 pounds. I've never weighed 195 pounds since God knows when. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the crazy stuff that, that mental health does to you, you yeah. know? And it's okay to... Have these discussions? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's 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 super okay. There there have been times that that I've struggled, uh, and you know, I've called my brother. I'll call uh, you know my dad. Um, they both they both struggle with it as well. And yeah. you know, it's it's good to talk about those things yeah. and get those things off your chest because if not, it's it, it'll eat you alive if you don't. Yeah, and um, and and if you don't feel that you have anybody to 
open up to about stuff like this. Marley's actually given us uh, some information and contact type stuff. Yeah, some great uh, resources. To, to some great resources that we're, we're going to share in the uh, show description. We're going to pump out on social media. So, I mean, if, if, if you are having a hard time out there right now, I mean, times are tough. They are. Mentally, psychologically, uh, with everything going on in the yeah. world. And we hope that you'll at least reach out to somebody or something in this way. And yeah. Maybe we can connect you to the right Definitely. person. Definitely. And guys, you know, we understand here at What's Appalachian and, and other people understand too. Like, it's like Gabe said, times are tough. Um, and during these times, it's, you know, take it upon yourself to, to reach out to a loved one, reach out to a friend, reach out to a neighbor, make sure they're, make sure they're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be an in-depth conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I can tell you guys is a, a quick five second, hey man, how you been? Yeah, uh, could Are, be a game changer you, for yeah, a lot yeah. of people. You doing good? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, so you know, I, I challenge our listeners this week: uh, if, if you get a chance, pick up the phone, text a friend that you haven't talked to in a while, text text a family member that may be seeming yeah. distant or or someone that you haven't talked to in a while, and and check up on them because it's always it's always important to uh, to keep in touch with with people you love and care about. So yeah. Guys, with that being said, um, I think we're going to wrap this one up, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll wrap it up and next week. I'm, I'm excited for the guest next week. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because Gabe and I are finally starting to get into guests that we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> our comfort level is a little different. We interviews, so. like, a little, a little uncomfortable. But yeah. we make it comfortable because yeah, it's just who we are. And we drink until we feel I mean, I'm awkward as hell. But, but yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. But, no, guys, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you come from a small town around Appalachia. You want to get a hold of us, share some thoughts, share some ideas. Shoot us an email. Uh, what's Appalachian at gmail dot com. Yeah. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook. Um, what's Appalachian? Instagram. What's Appalachian? Uh, yeah. And Twitter as well. So, guys, I uh, hope everybody has a great week coming up. Gabe yeah, and I yeah. will be getting back with you next week, next Sunday. So, guys, eight a.m. Crack a cold one. Have a good week. We love y'all, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.